Welcome back to the History of the Barbarians podcast, episode 28, A New Beginning. Last time we left our Visigoths in southern Italy, still pondering what to do in the wake of the loss of their first king, Auric Alaric. This time we are going to look at what strategy they will pursue in their quest to find a safe and secure place for themselves in the Roman world. At the Wolf, Alaric's brother-in-law, and the new reek of the Visigoths is an experienced leader. He has already appeared several times in our story and even held a post in the Roman military at one point, which was probably Tribunus Gentis, which basically means commander of a special unit, as his forces were made up of a mix of Goths, Huns, and several other people. He also was appointed by Attalus as Comus Domesticorum Equitum, which was a general level position. All these points made him a strong candidate to be the next leader for the Visigoths. His first task is to find a new strategy for safety, security, and land for his people. Once the winter weather breaks in 411 CE, the Goths begin to move north again from their winter quarters in Campania towards Rome. They spend the whole year slowly moving and looting and trying to decide what their next strategy should be. Italy is still not a long-term solution, nor is sailing to North Africa for their inability to procure an adequate fleet. The other options are to move east back to Noricum and Pannonia, where they had left nearly four years or so prior, but this would require major concessions by the Romans, and the Goths would be in the same situation as before without a federati status to protect them. The Alps proved to be a strong barrier to escape out of Italy effectively, blocking them from moving north. And of course, there was west out of Italy into Gaul. The problem with moving into Gaul is that the previous four years have seen more turmoil than perhaps Italy has itself. You remember from the last several episodes, some Vandals, Alans, and Suebes raid and plunder their way through southern Gaul and into the Hispania. Constantine is actively engaging these forces with his British legions and troops that joined him upon his arrival in Gaul. He sets up his home base in southern Gaul in the city of Arles on the Mediterranean coast. This strategic position allows him to deal with the Vandals in Hispania, but also pose a threat to the Visigoths and to Honorius in Italy. He would send his general Gerontius to Hispania to deal with the Vandals. Only this general would rebel, as was mentioned in last week's episode. One of the problems that we have moving through this period is that the sources start to become difficult to find at this time. Many are presumably lost to history, and some we do have are just a light brushing over the highlights of the events. But we can piece together somewhat of a cohesive narrative using multiple sources here. So let's piece together this narrative. Late in 411, a Gallic Roman named Jovinus rebelled against the empire and declared himself emperor while stationed in modern-day Mainz, Germany. His usurpation was backed by Burgundians and Alans, under which the former were allowed to create a kingdom in southern Gaul along the Rhine River, which history would call Burgundy. Athelwolf sees this rebellion as an opportunity for the Visigoths to carve out their own kingdom. Seeing that the Burgundians were able to carve out land in the Roman Empire, why couldn't they, the Visigoths, do the same? Jovinus, for his part, was looking for allies to help expand his control. Attalus, 
who again was still with the Visigoths, advised Athelwolf to take advantage of this opportunity. So the Goths moved north and then west out of Italy, sometime in the year 412, leaving the homeland of the Romans devastated after their almost four years of mostly on, but sometimes off again, plundering, raiding, and destroying of lands. Athelwolf and the Goths move into southern Gaul to prepare for the role as an official Roman army for this Gallic Roman Empire, when the alliance with Jovinus quickly unravels. Again, Jovinus was in the position to try to form alliances and friends at every turn in his efforts to expand and consolidate his power. To this end, he found another Germanic general, Gothic that is, currently stationed in Italy named Saurus. Yes, it is that Saurus. He had recently had a falling out with Honorius and left Ravenna with a small group of faithful followers, maybe around a thousand, and he contacted Jovinus to form an alliance. As Saurus approached Jovinus's base of influence at present-day Avergnon, France, Athelwolf, who did not appreciate Jovinus becoming friends with this hated goth, who has been an enemy of his family for decades and actively fighting his people on the side of the Romans for years now. Athelwolf sets up an ambush for Saurus, and after a hard but futile fight, Saurus is killed, thus ending this interesting side story to our narrative in the year 412. Shortly after Athelwolf killed Jovinus's new ally, Saurus, the Gallic usurper, further offended the Visigoths and their king by appointing another man as co-emperor without his recommendation. This was the last straw for Athelwolf, and he began negotiations to switch sides to Honorius with local Roman delegates. They quickly reached a settlement, this time for the Visigoths to become Federates in Aquitaine, and they entered the city of Bordeaux as friends in the year 413. So it is the beginning of the year 413 that the Visigoths will fight ostensibly for the Roman Empire again. They will face Jovinus in battle and defeat him. They will kill his brother and then chase the usurper to Valentia, or modern-day Valence, France. After a short siege, Jovinus is captured, and the Visigoths quickly hand him over to the Roman officials in Gaul, who execute him. But like all the other treaties the Goths have signed with Rome before, it would not last long. It seems a stipulation for this treaty that forced the row this time was that Honorius's half-sister, Gala Placidia, must be returned to Ravenna. Now, as you remember, she was captured during the sack of Rome in 410. The Goths seem to have been aggrieved in this interchange, and they began to start to plunder the countryside immediately. The cities of Narbonne and Toulouse are captured, and then they head east, back towards Italy, and lay siege to Marseille. A hastily assembled assault on the city fails when Atolf is injured and the end of the 413 fighting season had closed at the same time, that a famine was also setting in throughout Gaul as a result of poor harvests and the devastation from the previous month's events. While these renewed hostilities with Rome are taking place, once again the Goths try a different political tactic outside of military means. This time, marriage. Athelwolf married Gala Placidia in a Roman ceremony in Narbeau, which is modern-day Narbonne, France, in January of 414. The ceremony took place with Honorius's allies and attendants, and even on the estate of a high-ranking nobleman named Ingenius. Attalus, 
still on Team Visigoth through all this time, had a role in the conducting of the wedding ceremony. It appears that Athelwolf was making a distinct effort to be a Roman, as he married the Roman emperor's sister at the home of a high-ranking nobleman in Roman attire, and this is apparently a part of a peace settlement with local Romans and the Visigoths, who would probably be conducting this ceremony without the knowledge of Ravenna. More on that in a minute. There is a famous quote that is attributed to Altawulf at the marriage celebrations that must first be addressed. Orosius, who was a student of St. Augustine of Hippo, and also helped on his work, The City of God, that I mentioned last episode, wrote a book called Historia Adversus Paganos, or History Against the Pagans. In it, he recounts a time that he overheard someone tell St. Jerome in Palestine a quote that Atawulf told him in southern Gaul when he was a good friend to the Gothic Greek, who allegedly stated, Atawulf should become all that Caesar Augustus once had been, having discovered from long experience that the Goths, because of their unbridled barbarism, were utterly incapable of obeying laws, and yet believing that the state ought not to be deprived of laws without each a state is not a state. He, Atawulf, chose to seek for himself at least the glory of restoring and increasing the renown of the Romans by the power of the Goths. So essentially, the quote means, he, Atawulf, at first wanted to create a Cthulhu after conquering the Roman Empire, but then he remembered that the Goths were heathen barbarians who could not be controlled, so he wanted to join Rome. Now, I'm highly skeptical of this quote for several reasons. Number one, it seems to fit into the narrative that the Romans were creating around the sack of Rome about the Goths. History has kept much of this notion until just recently, that they were uncontrollable heathens that could not restrain themselves, which we know by just the sack of Rome itself, how measured and controlled that was by the standards of the day, just simply wasn't true. Number two, it comes through multiple sources, which we all remember high school gossip and how so-and-so said this to so-and-so and so on. Number three, the idea that Atawulf was trying to replace Rome is fairly ridiculous in the first place. No one thought it was possible, least of all, Atwolf or Alaric before him. So regardless of the authenticity of the rest of the quote, the last portion is essentially correct. The Goths, like most of the barbarians we have or will talk about, were trying to become a part of Rome, not really destroy it. So this brings us back to the marriage. Atawulf and Galapagos' marriage brought an interesting piece to the political situation in the empire. Any sons that they would have would be the son of a Gothic Greek and former Roman general, grandson of a Roman emperor, that being Theodosius, and the first cousin of Theodosius II over in Constantinople, and the nephew of the childless emperor of the Western Empire, Honorius. This would put Atawulf as the father of a legitimate heir for the Roman Empire, and in January of 415, Gala Placidia would indeed give birth to a son named Theodosius. Giving the Goths a huge political pawn, if not now, but certainly when Honorius dies, heirless. The problem is that Honorius, now Atawulf's brother-in-law, was alive and well and not happy with the Visigoths. 
he sent a new general named Constantius to attack the Goths before the birth of his nephew and began attacking the Goths with great vigor. The success of the Romans took the Visigoths off guard as they tried to find other means to secure their safety through allies within the empire. To this end, Atawulf appoints Priscus Italus as emperor once again in Bordeaux. The Goths and the Romans continue to spar for several more months when it is reported, shortly after the birth of the baby Theodosius, that Constantius figures out that there is a famine going on still in southern Gaul, and the Goths have no way to resupply themselves in their current situation. So, the Romans decided to lay siege to southern Gaul, cutting off the coast and cutting off the Goths' trade routes on land. Through early 415 CE, the situation had become so dire for the Visigoths that they began to move their way into northern Hispania to find respite from the siege. Atalus, who stayed behind in Bordeaux as emperor, falls into the hands of the Romans and is then exiled to a Mediterranean island as the Goths move in and around modern-day Barcelona. It is then that baby Theodosius dies in Barcelona and is buried in a silver coffin in a church. Now, Atawulf's fortunes have truly changed. He was outmaneuvered militarily, laid under siege, but after the death of his son and the possible heir to the Roman Empire, he is in even more of a difficult situation. And many times others will see one's weakness as an opportunity. Schemers and competitors want to see an end to Atawulf's reign, and they send an assassin after him. An assassin is able to do the deed while the Visigothic king was inspecting the horses at the palace they had just moved into, attended by his whole retinue. The assassin's name was either Dubius or Eberwold, and is described as a short man that was often made fun of for his stature, but was motivated to kill the Gothic reek to avenge the murder of a former reek of a Gothic subtribe, whom Atawulf had killed a long time ago. I read that as Soros the Goth. So, if this part of the story is to be believed, a loyal follower of Saurus was allowed into close proximity of the king and was therefore able to topple the leadership with a blade. This is easier to believe only somewhat by the fact that the next man named Reek of the Visigoths is someone named Sigaric, which happens to be the brother of Saurus. So, Athelwolf and his Balti family is usurped by Saurus's family in a palace coup of sorts. We do not know if the coup involved the traditional election of Reek or if it was a transfer of power via force, but that is something we will try to delve into next time. But before we go, we need to stop and take a minute to recognize where the Goths are at this time and take stock. The Visigoths have traveled far, fought, befriended, and fought against Rome multiple times. Under Atawulf, they have ended up in portions of southern Gaul and northern Hispania, or present-day Spain, the latter which they will have some sort of control over for the next 350 years from this point on. The fight and the troubles are not over, and any of the Visigoths certainly do not think at this point that they have found home that they have been struggling to achieve for almost 40 years since Fritigern and the original group of Goths came across in mass over the Danube. At present, the Visigoths have political upheaval, a war going on against the Romans, of which they are losing, 
a famine in the lands of southern Gaul, where they just retreated from, which all added to dissension within the ranks. The rest of the lands in Hispania are controlled by a combination of Hispano-Roman forces, Vandals, Alans, and Sueves, who are all hostile to the Visigoths. But despite being surrounded by all these hostile parties, despite losing Alaric and his brother-in-law successor as leaders in the last five years, they will find a way to succeed and thrive in the spot that they are right now. The constant cycle of moving and raiding is almost over. The Visigoths don't know it, but light is at the end of a long, long tunnel. And that is where we'll end it this week. Next time, we will look at Sigaric's short reign, more war with Rome, and then ultimately, peace with Rome. So some of the sources that were used for this week's episode include Rome's Gothic Wars from the 3rd century to Alaric by Michael Kulikowski, which this will be the last time I will use this source as it is essentially run its course. I've also used Goths and the Romans 332 to 489 by Peter Heather and the Goths by Herwig Wolfram. And then finally, the fall of the Roman Empire by Peter Heather. If you like the show, please give a review on iTunes, Podbean, or the platform of your choice. Those reviews do make a difference. Check out the History of the Barbarians Twitter accounts and Facebook pages for more information and some resources about our barbarians in this week's episode. Uh, we've got some maps and some other images associated. And I want to give you one last big thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>